Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right, and happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that I refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for November the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2021. This is our one of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America. That is our guide that absolutely we're convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers. One of the great peaceful solutions we still have at our fingertips. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. And it is not a freedom love and Friday, but it is a faith-filled, family-oriented Thanksgiving Eve day. Is that what you call it? Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you're all doing absolutely fantastic. And it's hard for me to remember because you know what? I've been celebrating Thanksgiving all week long, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm hoping you've been doing the same as well. It is Thanksgiving Eve day. And uh, Thanksgiving is a wonderful, wonderful time. We're not going to be live on Thanksgiving, folks. Rarely am I out of town for Thanksgiving, but this time uh, we're going to spend some special time uh, with some loved ones. And um, so I'm not going to be live tomorrow. Normally I'm live on holidays. I feel like it, you're you uh, li- listening to the radio are part of our big radio family, and I like to spend time with you. So we usually are live uh, on these holidays, but tomorrow we're not going to be live. And uh, I know somebody would say that's foolish to announce, Sam, then nobody will listen. We got a great rebroadcast for you, though. And uh, Friday will, of course, be live. So we got a lot going on. And uh, a lot of times people want to celebrate a holiday before the holiday. So today we would do our Thanksgiving show. Uh, tomorrow we wouldn't be live. You know, I would prefer to do Friday, the Thanksgiving uh, focus more. Why? Because after the holiday, and I can tell you about the memories that we made and some of the things that have gone on for us and our family and some of the things that I'm grateful for and a whole lot more. The other reason is because it extends the holiday. You know, whenever there's a great holiday, I like to extend it, right? And so if we kind of carry that over into Friday, <clears throat> in my mind, it extends that holiday just a little bit, uh, which is always nice. So count on that Friday. And uh, today we got a lot to cover, though, because things are happening. Even though it's Thanksgiving and the rest of us want to take a break from the news and spend time with the family and do all those things, the news cycle continues 24-7 in America, sadly so. But reality, um, you know, for example, what does a week mean? Why do we have a week? Why is seven days the, uh, you know, big discussion point or whatever? Apple News had a link to an Atlantic story talking about why do we have seven days anyway? And they didn't really talk too much about the Bible. They kind of said there was no real logic for seven days. I think the main reason we have seven days in our society is because God ordained seven days. Six days did he work and the seventh day did he rest and so to me, it comes from God Almighty, and the week makes entire sense. Uh, but nevertheless, there you have that. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you're doing all just great and ready to celebrate. And if you don't have uh, someone to spend Thanksgiving with, reach out. Reach out to church. Reach out to work. Reach out to school. Reach out. There's somebody uh, you can spend time with, that's for sure. And that's what Thanksgiving is all about, is getting together and being grateful 
grateful for our freedoms in America, grateful for our food, grateful for, I mean, so many blessings do we have in the greatest country on the face of the earth. It's amazing. And we should pray uh, for and ponder that, you know what, others who do not live in America can, well, their nations can be great too, to where they can have freedom and stability and safety and prosperity and all the wonderful hallmarks of the greatest country on the face of the earth. We pray uh, for those folks. All right. So without further ado, a recap of yesterday's show. We were live yesterday as well. And we talked about this, uh, you know, 80-person, 25-vehicle, um, just absolute destruction of Nordstrom in a place called Walnut Creek, California. Um, what a sad tale that was over the weekend. But it continued with 40-plus looters targeting California Bay Area stores for the third straight day in a row. Jack Phillips with that piece, Western Journal. Just a scary scenario, folks. These people are armed with uh, crowbars. They're violent as all get out. Where's the mainstream press? Where's the researchers on the ground in California that are going to break this down and say, here's where their money's coming from. Here's who they are. Uh, here, you know, here's these 40, 80, whatever people. Here's their records. Here's their professionals. They pulled this off with such precision, say the cops. So who's going to dig into how this is all happening in the details, huh? I hope somebody will soon. I'll tell you that right now. All right, we also talked about incredible detailed documents show that Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has given $319-plus million to media outlets. This incredible news group that I've never heard of before sifted through 30,000 grants in the company's database can now reveal that over $319 million has been given to all kinds of media outlets. Alan McLeod uh, with the uh, incredible article on this one. Um, and it's a kind of an interesting story because it breaks down who got how much money even. Um, they're calling it bankrolled, too, which is kind of interesting. It's called Mint Press. Alan McLeod doing a great job over there about that. Very detailed about who got what money and, man, just millions and millions and millions of dollars going to the mainstream press. Going to government radio, government TV, going to all kinds of universities, all kinds of newsmakers. It was just insane. If you notice, though, Liberty News Radio and loving Liberty Radio Networks didn't get a penny. And I'm not asking for a penny from Bill Gates. I'm just making an interesting point that why is Donald Trump, is Donald as rich as Bill? Oh, I guess not even close. But Donald's wealthy enough. Why is Donald begging me for money to run his commercials? I can't give him money because I'm spending all my money funding radio, folks. But I will run Donald Trump's radio ad for free. But I find that interesting how Donald Trump asks me for money. The conservatives who have plenty of money ask me for money literally on the daily. But then uh, Bill Gates just quietly behind the scenes funds his radio and TV and newspapers and everything else. So does Jeff Bezos. Um, but the conservatives just don't seem to do that. Very strange how that works. Anyway, that was hour one of Liberty Roundtable Live yesterday. Hour two, we had our guest on Mr. Alex Newman. This was the simulcast with Brighty on TV of the Sheriff Mack Show and Liberty Roundtable Live. So it was me and Sheriff Mack together on radio and TV. And we had Alex Newman on with us. He's an author, journalist, educator, and a broadcaster. TheNewAmerican.com is one of his great... Um, uh, partners, if you will. Um, we also talked about the the book that he highlighted called The Great Prison Break. The Supreme Court Leads the Way, G. Edward Griffin. Incredible book, by the way. We also talked about a second book 
Uh, it's called Crimes of the Educators, how utopians are using government schools to destroy America's children. Now, this story or this uh, book was written by uh, Sam Blumenthal along with Alex Newman. They co-authored that book, Crimes of the Educators, incredible book written several years ago by Alex and, and Sam. Great stuff, by the way. And we talked about what is the number one threat to America. Alex Newman says government education. Boy, howdy, is he right about that? What is the number one threat to America? Sam Bushman, I put the Federal Reserve. And I think both of those answers are great answers. We mentioned that it's a target-rich environment, to say the least. We then had our guest on, Ted Nugent. Yeah, Motor City Madman Ted. Uncle Ted released his new single, Come and Take It. He says the song is an incredible, powerful rock anthem. It's a patriotic rock anthem about our right to keep and bear arms. Our sacred First and Second Amendment rights. Um, anyway, he referred to HunterNation.org. That's where he does a lot of his great philanthropy work and more. Come and Take It, by the way, is the first single from the upcoming album by Ted Nugent called Detroit Muscle, which is slated for release on April 29th. Anyway, there you have that. It's the All-American Defiant Battle Hymn, he says. Come and take it. What is the number one threat to America? We asked Ted Nugent as well, and Ted said apathy. Boy, howdy, is he right about that? I don't know if it's the Federal Reserve. Apathy, the education system. Uh, all three are great answers, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we got a lot of work to do. That's for sure. Well, anyway, Joe Biden orders 50 million barrels of oil to be released from the Strategic Reserve. Uh, his goal is to cool surging prices. Epic Times with that report. And I kind of find that interesting. Now, the archives of the simulcast of the Sheriff Mack show and Liberty Roundtable Live can be found in video on Brighty on TV, audio at libertyroundtable.com. Spread the word. Check that out. Um, because it was a great interview with Alex Jones and Ted Nugent. We're kind of making a difference together, aren't we? <laughs> All of us working so hard. and You know, it's amazing who's willing to participate with us and who is not willing to participate with us. I tried to get a hold of uh, Mike Lindell, and he was just too busy. He says he's not taking any more interviews. But I find that fascinating because he's spending time on other interviews. So why he won't jump on uh, the radio with us, Mike Lindell doesn't have time, but General Flynn does. Uh-huh. Very interesting. And why he won't do it, I just don't know. It's the My Pillow guy. And we help him by, you know, when we run the news at the bottom of the hour, USA Radio News, they have Mike Lindell as a sponsor there. And so we kind of help fund that. We don't get a penny in return, of course. It's only Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, the liberal guys that fund the media, the conservative guys, you know, Donald Trump, Mike Lindell, and all those other guys. They're not interested in funding us, I guess kind of an ending dichotomy that we find ourselves in. Nevertheless, we will continue to march on. We will continue to tell a tale of liberty. And we'll do it on, what do you call it, the Widow's Might Radio Network? <laughs> That's what we'll do. Hard-hitting talk at your fingertips. That's a recap of yesterday's broadcast. Still available at libertyroundtable.com and lovingliberty.net. I am Sam Bushman. A lot of hard-hitting news that I refuse to use straight ahead on your radio. I'm sitting here in the corner having a time out until mom comes to talk to me. 
all I did was cut my sister's hair. I was just trying to help. I guess Mom didn't like how I did it. In a minute, she'll be back and ask me if I know what I did was wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have cut her hair. And she'll say we all make mistakes because we're just learning about stuff. And she'll give me a hug and we'll end up talking about more stuff. No matter what you talk to your kids about, love is what they'll hear. I really like Mom's timeouts. And I think she likes them too. Yeah, I think they help her remember how much she loves me. A thought from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Visit us at mormon.org. As you all know, Roe versus Wade has resulted in some of the most permissive abortion laws anywhere in the world. For example, in the United States, it's one of only seven countries to allow elective late-term abortions, along with China, North Korea, and others. Right now, in a number of states, the laws allow a baby to be born from his or her mother's womb in the ninth month. It is wrong. It has to change. Americans are more and more pro-life. You see that all the time. In fact, only 12% of Americans support abortion on demand at any time. Under my administration, we will always defend the very first right in the Declaration of Independence, and that is the right to life. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. You know in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, not guilty on all counts, innocent, if you will. On all counts, the jury basically felt like it was a clear-cut case of self-defense. That one was winnable big time, and the liberals are freaking them, and they're out of their minds uh, over that win. The Charlottesville case, as we've been tracking as well, not so clear-cut. CBS News, jury awards $26 million in Charlottesville, Unite the Right. Rally civil case, CBS News. We're just going to play their report on it and then talk about it for a minute. Here they are, CBS. The jury has reached a partial verdict in the trial of the men who organized the 2017 Unite the Right March in Charlottesville, Virginia. They found the defendants liable of civil conspiracy for planning the deadly rally. But the jury could not agree on every count. Joining me now for more on this decision is Nicole Skanga. She's a CBS News Homeland Security and Justice reporter. Um, Nicole, thanks very much for being with us. So what did the jury find the defendants liable of? Elaine, good to be with you. Now, two dozen organizers of the Unite to Write rally more than four years ago, uh, including some of notorious white supremacist leaders, including Richard Spencer, Jason Kessler, Christopher Cantwell, well, they were found to have engaged in conspiracy to intimidate, harass, or harm ahead of that deadly August 2017 weekend. Now, the 11-member jury, as you noted, did not reach a verdict on two federal conspiracy charges, but they managed to find that every defendant here was liable for civil conspiracy. That is under Virginia state law. Now, the jury then went on to award more than 25 million dollars in damages against 12 individuals and five white nationalists and neo-nazi groups to the nine plaintiffs listed in this case here 
And now nearly half of that money is owed by James Fields Jr. You might recall uh, he is serving time behind bars, serving life behind bars after he plowed his car through a group of counter protesters, killing 32 year old Heather Heyer and injuring scores of others. Uh, the jury found that all of the defendants here again engaging in conspiracy to harm, harass or intimidate and five beyond that five defendants here also found liable for engaging in racial, religious or ethnic harassment or violence. Among the defendants are some longstanding hate groups, including League of the South and Vanguard. They all owe $1 million apiece, Elaine. And Nicole, what exactly were the two counts they could not come to an agreement on? Yeah, those were uh, federal conspiracy charges. Um, and if the goal here was to bankrupt the defendants, well, certainly the attorneys for uh, the plaintiffs did just that. But the heart of this case really did center on those federal statutes, um, counts one and two. Uh, the law itself, the statute itself, known uh, colloquially as the Ku Klux Klan Act, dated back to 1871 in the Reconstruction era. And it was designed at the time to protect African-Americans in the South, but it was unearthed for this civil case um, to try to prove under federal law that the defendants here uh, conspired, entered into a conspiracy to commit racially motivated violence. Uh, you know, for the plaintiffs, unfortunately, uh, they did not reach a verdict. The defendants, of course, celebrating this fact. And in the note to Judge Norman K. Moon, the federal judge here, uh, the jury saying that they were deadlocked on these counts, that they did not believe that they were going to uh, uh, reach a verdict on those two here. Uh, we got sort of a preview of that yesterday when they had sent a question to the judge asking, well, what happens if we can't all unanimously agree on all of the counts? So this being a, a partial verdict that was reached, Elaine. Uh, you touched on this, Nicole, but what were the reactions by the defendants and the plaintiffs to the decision? Yeah, well, Karen Dunn and Roberta Kaplan, who are two of the attorneys, the main attorneys for the plaintiffs here, did call this, uh, you know, a victory. They said, quote, we feel that justice was served today. There's going to be accountability for the people who did this. Uh, you know, they did also announce, though, at an impromptu press conference that occurred outside this federal courthouse moments ago that they were going to try to relitigate count ones and two. They said, you know, maybe if they brought this in front of a different jury, a jury perhaps that was less eager to get to uh, Thanksgiving dinner with their families, that they think they will be successful at getting, uh, you know, the verdict they wanted on that federal conspiracy statute. Uh, so making that announcement uh, today, I will say that Amy Spitalnik, who's the executive director of the civil rights group behind the lawsuit, also made very clear in a statement to reporters here that that group is committed to ensuring that the plaintiffs can collect on these judgments and that defendants don't escape liability. There's a lot of concern, Elaine, given uh, that many of the defendants here are, are flat broke. They have said as much during the course of this trial. In fact, we know Richard Spencer and Christopher Cantwell defended themselves because they could not afford lawyers. So concern that perhaps it's going to be difficult for the plaintiffs to collect on all of these damages. So here we're hearing from the plaintiff side saying that they're going to do the best they can. Uh, but we did also hear from the defendants attorneys in this case, including James Kanolik, who represents two defendants and the group Identity Europa. He said he's going to try to reduce the damages in future court hearings, 
try to cut them down in size potentially. And Nicole, this is such a high profile trial. What kind of precedent does this set? Well, Elaine, we talked about this a little bit earlier before, but really the heart of this case, which was those federal conspiracy, uh, you know, statutes here, the fact that there was no verdict served in those could uh, set a precedent. You know, the, some of the Capitol Police officers, believe it or not, and lawmakers are currently using the very same statutes, uh, you know, in their own civil suits that are being brought to bear in the aftermath of January 6th using that statute, uh, you know, in charges against former President Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon, some Trump campaign and administration associates. And so possible that, you know, some of those attorneys for the plaintiffs in those case are, are really looking at this trial, perhaps for a sense of what is to come. Now, we will see whether or not, as, as I noted earlier, that the plaintiffs are hoping to retry, you know, these two counts uh, on this federal statute. You know, it remains to be seen whether or not they will be successful uh, in really using this 150-year-old statute uh, to try to seek damages in, 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 as part of a civil case. All right, Nicole Skanga reporting from Charlottesville for us. Nicole, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jury awards $26 million in Charlottesville Unite the Right case, ladies and gentlemen. $26 million. Now, there's several things about this. CBS News reported on it. I think for the most part, they were um, fair. A lot of the words they used weren't fair. You know, white supremacists and this and that. And I believe that a few of them may have had, you know, worse intentions than others i really think that this was a slap lawsuit though and that's what you got to really kind of remember coming out of this it means strategic lawsuit against public participation and they said right there nicole and those in the interview literally said hey if their goal was to bankrupt the defendants they got it done a million dollars each most of them aren't going to be able to pay that they may never even get all their money uh, but the chilling effect of the slap if you will uh, worked. How much public participation will you get going forward when everybody's afraid to peacefully assemble? You can say that some of these people committed conspiracy. Well, how do you have conspiracy on the state level? But on the federal level, they couldn't come to an agreement. See, very nuanced in the law. And I have a, a feeling the instructions that was given to the jury, or maybe if the jury asked the judge questions after, uh, or some of the details and the nuances of the laws are what allowed the federal charges to be I don't know what you want to call it, stalemated, but yet the state charges to stick. That's a very serious, uh, serious concern. Um, the other question about conspiracy, you know, it's very difficult for me uh, to assess this because if we're going to say all the defendants are guilty of a conspiracy based on state law, if I'm in Utah and I uh, proceed uh, an event that I go to with some planning or whatever else, how do I violate a state law if I'm planning it from another state? There's a lot of nuanced strange things here but here's the bottom line you had multi-million dollar lawyers for the prosecution and you had just ragtag band a bunch of people who didn't have money and didn't have attorneys and it seems like they didn't really have a strategy they literally took the abuse of the prosecuting attorneys for literally days i guess it was a couple of what 17 plus days and then they literally took a day to defend themselves so i don't think they put a very good defense uh, together and I kind of highlighted this at the time, how concerned I was about, you know, are you going to highlight a lot of this? 
For example, were there FBI agents? Were there agents from state police or Charlottesville police or the sheriff's department? Or were there um, provocateurs in the crowd that had ties to government? I don't know that that was brought up, but it certainly ought to be brought up because we know that happened in the Ammon Bundy cases. We know that's happened in January the 6th. And now even the CBS News folks tying it to the January 6th issue, they all know. This is Get the Patriots time, isn't it? Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. As President Biden assured Americans on Tuesday, saying America's energy prices will be going down in the future after releasing two and a half days worth of oil from the strategic reserves, Republican Senator John Kennedy on Fox News has this analogy. I think that the one of the differences between between people and dogs is that dogs would never allow the weakest or the dumbest to lead the pack. President Biden's energy policy is both weak and dumb. NASA launched a mission to deliberately smash a spacecraft into an asteroid, a test in case humanity ever needs to block a giant space rock from wiping out life on Earth. The DART is going to test its theory. It blasted off at 10.21 p.m. local time Tuesday on board a SpaceX rocket from Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. USA Radio News. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it time for open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also when you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For the typical family, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. Think what you could do with that. But if you join right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fee. So that's another $170 you'll save. And MediShare is really different. It's a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. More than 400,000 people are members, and they've shared over $4 billion in medical bills. So, yes, they can handle your bills, too. This may be the time to make the switch. Join before November 30th for the additional savings. It's so easy to find out more. They're great to talk to. In fact, you can get a price within two minutes. Here's the number. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. As we get ready for the Thanksgiving holiday Thursday, Americans were asked what their plans are for the feasts of all feasts. A new survey conducted by Axios and Ipsios found 67% of U.S. adults are planning to see friends and family from outside their households during the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. That group includes 73% of Republicans, 70% of Independents, and 63% of Democrats. 31% of respondents say they see a large or moderate risk in gathering with family or friends for Thanksgiving this year, which, according to Axios, was significantly down from the 64% tracked in 2020. The poll, conducted between November 19th and the 22nd, surveyed 1,023 general population adults. The margin of sampling error is plus or minus 3.3 percentage points. From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg. We are USA Radio News. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch.
All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Bushman on your radio. We're talking about the Charlottesville scenario. Jury awards $26 million in the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally civil case. CBS News breaking it down. It's a slap lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen. Strategic, strategic lawsuit against public participation. And boy, howdy, will it have a chilling effect, to say the least. Now, they even talked about, ladies and gentlemen, all 20, what, four people involved in conspiracy. State laws violated, uh, uh, state law of Virginia. Most of them aren't even from Virginia. And if they did that planning out of the state of Virginia, how do you violate state law when you're not even in the state? Well, Sam, because you planned it and then you went into the state later. So it violates state law. Uh, If that is the case, ladies and gentlemen, how do I know that I'm not violating state laws anytime I visit any other state? Let's say I go to California and I go to Disneyland. How do I know that something couldn't be tied back to me violating the state of California's laws before I even get to the state? Well, Sam, this is conspiracy now. Okay. How do you have a conspiracy where they're locked? They couldn't decide the federal conspiracy charge discussions. But the state, they could. So something's very, very unique indeed here. And I believe that the prosecution has a ton of money. The defense didn't have any money, first of all. But the defense did not do a good job. And I highlighted this from the start. I expressed dismay, to say the least, on your radio about why are they not defending themselves? Why aren't they not bringing up all these issues um, in the first place? And it needs to be tied to the January 6th situation. How many of the people were at January 6th were at the Unite the Right rally, for example? I don't know that anybody's documented that for me, but can we find like-minded or, uh, you know, characters that were at both places? Were there agent provocateurs by the government? See, I don't know that we have the answers there. Nobody's prepared to answer this for me, sad to say. Uh, But I really think that's a relevant discussion. All right, now Donald Trump said there were both troublemakers and good people on both sides of the conflict. I think that's really, really uh, kind of important to understand. I really do. Uh, That hasn't been focused on much because, again, if all the defendants are guilty, you've got, what, nine groups? you got 24 defendants in this situation? They're not all equal, and the jury uh, really highlighted that case where they say five were singled out um, that were this, and, you know, most of them were that, and 12 were guilty of this, and, you know, some weren't. Very interesting how this all kind of broke down. But I really want to know if there were provocateurs there in Charlottesville. Were there provocateurs at the Kyle Rittenhouse riots, etc.? How about in Georgia, where there's a big meltdown there? How about January the 6th? Are all these cases linked? And I happen to believe the answer is a clear, resounding yes. To what degree? I don't know. But I know this. In the Ammon Bundy cases, Ammon was starting to find out who was who, which government provocateurs did what. You got discovery. And in an effort to to jettison discovery, the judge threw out the case and looked at the FBI and said, you're guilty of virtually criminal mischief. You're guilty of uh, withholding exculpatory evidence. You're guilty of all these different things. And, well, the judge shut down the case in Nevada. Well, in Oregon, the jury said Ammon Bundy was not guilty. Well, we found out in those cases there was agent provocateurs 
through the whole thing, government had FBI agents right in the mix with the people that, okay, well, we're discovering the same reality. Chris Carlson and I, a couple of Fridays ago, broke down how you've got these people who are provocateurs in January the 6th. They're on video. Somehow the government had them on their most wanted database. Now they've been magically taken off that database. We've got them in video. We've got their names. We know who they are. We know their ties. We know quite a bit about them. Well, is this the case for Charlottesville? See, none of that, as far as I can tell, has really been explored or brought to the table. So I personally think the defendants did a horrible job defending themselves. I'm not attacking these people because I know some of them. And I I know they're not all the same. I know some of them are way more extreme than others. Right? For example, what's a patriot? Is that a white supremacist? Are all patriots white supremacists? No, but all white supremacists are patriots. Okay, whatever, right? But everybody's not the same. Everybody doesn't look at it the same. They say, well, Sam, you're a racist. And my response is, I've got a couple of friends who you could say have ties to that crowd. But I don't believe my friends are racist. I really don't. I don't believe that I'm racist. I really don't. I do believe that we all have a a little bit of, whenever something's different from ourselves, uh, we have a little bit of uh, hesitation. But is that because of racism or is that just normal that when things are different than you're comfortable with, it's odd. It's hard to navigate, right? doesn't mean that you want any harm to come to anybody. But the other problem is this. The racist views that some of these people may or may not have, I will say this, that you're not guilty of anything for your thought, your conscience, are you? Because if you are, we've got another big concern on our hands. Did these people really commit conspiracy for violence? Well, here's the next question that I would have. One, I want to know what agent provocateurs were there. Secondly, though, I want to know how complicit the police would be if they took these two groups and meshed them together. One group had a permit to unite the right people. The other group that showed up didn't even have a permit. But how complicit would the police be when they merged these two groups together and literally forced them together? That needs to be explored. So I hope a few of these defendants have the guts to come back and sue the other side. We probably won't because we never get any money together and the conservatives aren't organized and they'll probably never get this done. But they ought to. I want to know what the police, all the way from the local police in Charlottesville, all the way to the sheriff's department, to the mayor, to the police chief, to the state, you know, police all the way to the FBI. Were there provocateurs there? Was even if there may not have been provocateurs, was there kind of a complicit idea that, you know, we think these two groups won't harm each other if they're together? What inspired the police to allow them just to be together? All precedents in former situations should have told us that's a bad idea. Did the cops know that and let that happen? Did they encourage that to happen? Was that part of the plan to make that happen? See, who's plumbing these questions into reality? Who's finding out the answers to this? And I think a lawsuit against all the police, all the law enforcement, all the um, groups there to see if there was agent provocateurs on one hand, and see if there was an ignorance which led to problems on the other hand. But then I would also sue the other side, though, okay? Um, Who all was there that committed violence on the other side? Remember Donald Trump made a very wise statement, I believe. Trump, there were both troublemakers and good people on both sides of the conflict. Well, who were the troublemakers on the, quote, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, 
on, I believe, the insurrectionist side. Who was there who committed violence who did not even have a permit to be there? And who's going to sue them to create accountability? Who's going to sue them to drag out the provocateurs in their groups? Maybe it wasn't the cops that were provocateurs or all the way up to the FBI like in the Yemen Bundy case or like in the January 6th case. Maybe not. But there were certainly Antifa and Black Lives Matter and everything else there. Who were the provocateurs there? Because, again, all people are not alike. And so there must have been extreme folks on that side that got into violence and were there um, to cause violence. And then I'm sure there were there people who, for example, that support Black Lives Matter or Antifa that weren't really violent. They just believe, hey, black lives do matter. They don't realize the umbrella organization that, that foments violence and promotes anger and hatred and division. Because there's a lot of people, for example, that, that believe in black lives matter, but they don't really understand what they're believing in. There's a lot of people that may believe in the, the extremist, white supremacist uh, view, but they don't really understand, you know what, it can get violent, it can go wrong. There are racists out there. You know, they may just think, well, hey, we support the white view and white people are good, but they may not understand or go as far as others may go. Let me give you a case, proof, and point to make my argument, shall I? Kyle Rittenhouse backs BLM or Black Lives Matter during an interview says that race had nothing to do with his case. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Now, I agree that his case had the, it had to do with the right to self-defense. I support that view. But this idea that he backs Black Lives Matter, well, he must just genuinely not want to be called a racist because, again, Joe Biden literally um, calling him a racist from what I understand, right? Well, uh, then Kyle basically wanting to, like everybody does, James Edwards of the political cesspools book highlights this so well, racism, schmacism, basically highlighting that, you know what, everybody wants to run from being a racist. So if Kyle's called a racist, then he's like, no, 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 I back Black Lives Matter. But does he back the concept that everybody's life matters and we're just highlighting that black people's lives matter? If that's the case, fine. I do agree black lives do matter. Every life matters. But I don't back the ideology put together by Black Lives Matter and Antifa on their websites and on, on their uh, materials and what they've stood for over the last couple of years. Nothing but rioting and pillaging and plundering and violence and hatred, and etc. Does Kyle really back that stuff? I doubt it. Hopefully I've made my point. Quick pause. This is Sam Bushman on Liberty Roundtable Live. As a parent, is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. 
As the United States boldly stepped forward in the glorious light provided by its new constitution in 1787, the nations of the earth were in awe of the newfound strength and hope of this free land. Today, the nation stands at a crossroads, a divergence from the original intent put forth in the United States Constitution has brought grave threats to our beloved nation. A miracle is needed if the United States is to survive. That miracle is again the pure application of the United States Constitution. I'm Scott Bradley. In my To Preserve the Nation book and lecture series, I bring forth truths that will help raise up a new generation of statesmen like those noble Americans who founded this land. Vigorous application of these principles will invigorate and restore the nation, and we may become again the freest, most prosperous, most respected, and happiest nation on earth. Visit topreservethenation.com to begin that restoration. Yeah, Joe Biden accuses Kyle Rittenhouse. I'm sorry, but let's start over. Kyle Rittenhouse now accuses Biden of malice and defamation. Well, you know what? I think Kyle Rittenhouse is right. Kyle Rittenhouse slams Joe Biden for defaming his character when the president tweeted out a video suggesting that the teen is a white supremacist. It's actual malice defaming my character. Understand the facts before you make a statement, Kyle trashed Joe in saying. So this is interesting. You got an average citizen attacking the president of the United States blatantly, but the president acting um, out of character and literally calling Kyle a white supremacist. Now, I don't know what Kyle's beliefs are, but this is kind of what I mean. When you start to just act like everybody's the same, it's not true. Out of those 24 defendants in Charlottesville, um, everybody has different viewpoints, different understandings. I doubt they're all guilty of the same things. And so they tried to rope Kyle into that, and he fires back pretty boldly, nobly, and independently. But he makes, a, in my opinion, a fundamental crucial mistake, which is uh, denying that you're a white supremacist, okay? Um, and the reason that that is the case is because, you know what? What if he is a white supremacist or not? What is a white supremacist? How far do you go to say someone's a white supremacist? If I believe that I'm white, and God made me that way, and I'm happy with my race, I'm happy with my heritage. I'm happy with my, quote, ethnicity. Does that make me a bad guy? What if I even go so far as to say I want more white people on the planet? Um, me and my wife want to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We want our posterity to be large and great. Is that a bad statement? See, I don't think either of those are bad statements at all. In fact, I think they're reality. Now you say, well, Sam, what if you're Mexican or you're, you know, Latin or you're Asian or you're fine. You should hope the same thing for your people and your race and your ethnicity as well, right? I would hope you would. I would hope you'd be proud of your heritage. But see, that doesn't mean that I think that my whiteness or my race or my ethnicity is, makes me better than anybody else, that I'm somehow a superior being. The only superior being that I know that walked the planet was Jesus Christ himself. Wasn't he Jewish? All right. I'm not necessarily saying we're all supposed to be Jews or Jewish. I'm just making a point that, you know what? Um, I believe we're all God's children, and we should behave like it. We should be kind and considerate and respectful to one another, right? Anyway, Kyle Rittenhouse 
accuses Joe Biden of defamation. I agree, and I think that uh, Kyle should sue the socks off of Joe. That's what I really think. Um, and you say, well, Sam, wow, you're promoting civility. Why do you think you should sue the socks off of Joe? Because I think it's unprecedented for the president of the United States to literally double down and attack a little kid. You say, he's not a little kid, Sam. He shot some people. He's a grown man. He's over 18. When this all went down, the guy wasn't even 18 years old. He was 17 years old, people. Okay? And I don't know why, uh, um, you know, Trump gets abused for saying there are both troublemakers and good people on both sides of the conflict. I think that's a fact of reality, but he got slaughtered for it. Well, now Joe Biden literally attacks Kyle Rittenhouse and says, or intimates that he's somehow kind of a white supremacist. And then Kyle Rittenhouse, to run away from the attacks of the president of the United States, goes, oh, wait, hey, I back BLM. Well, does he really back BLM? Does he back the real ideology, the real agenda? of black lives matter because if he does that's a serious problem indeed as well right when do these things become terrorism see the conservatives uh, are all considered terrorists over the quote january 6th event right whether you were there whether you weren't there you're all kind of tied into this wide casted net of you're all guilty of terrorism to some degree see this is what i mean this isn't true I'm sure there was provocateurs there at January 6th that were evil. Most people there were good. Uh, the people that didn't go aren't guilty at all. Well, they weren't even there for crying out loud. How do you get that's guilt by association to the umpth degree? See, but that's what we're facing. All right, let's get a Ron Paul report before the end of the hour. I want to get this in. Um, Ron Paul on Thanksgiving week. Let's go ahead and dial that up, Cameron. Ron Paul coming up here. This is indeed Liberty Roundtable live with the ron paul report hello this is ron paul with your weekly update for monday november 22nd president Biden's approval numbers are dropping like lead according to the polls released last week only 36 percent of americans approve of biden's performance as president from COVID to the economy to foreign policy, Biden's numbers are in the tank. Three out of four Americans are dissatisfied with the way things are going in the country today. Inflation is sky high, gasoline prices are higher than they've been since Obama was president, and the store shelves are empty just in time for Christmas. And the president's illegal and immoral vaccine mandates may in result in millions leaving their job rather than accept the experimental COVID shots. That should be no wonder for supply chain problems in the U.S. Biden's ability to drag the economy back from the brink is very limited, and the Democrat brand is looking more and more like poison as the U.S. moves into midterm election season. That can be dangerous. When presidents make war, they find that political opposition dries up and the media rolls over in gratitude. In Biden's eyeing foreign actions to bolster his sagging support back home. Traditionally, uh, progressives have been wary of aggressive U.S. foreign policy, but four years of phony Russiagate lies have left a good deal of the political left enamored with the CIA, the FBI, and warmongering woke military officers, just like Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley. Many of them will likely cheer a military conflict. 
When it comes to foreign policy, the Biden White House continues some of the worst policies of the previous administration. The U.S. continues to sail warships through the South China Sea. When such saber-rattling provokes Chinese concern, the Chinese are condemned as the aggressors. Similarly, the U.S. just sent warships into Russia's backyard in the Black Sea to perform military maneuvers. Imagine Russian war games off the Texas coast in the Gulf of Mexico. And then the U.S. administration attacked Russia for massing troops inside Russia. The U.S. media is, as usual, complicit in the propagandizing the U.S. population. Thus, Russia is said to be massing troops near Ukraine without the explanation that near Ukraine is actually within Russia. So Russia is threatening war by holding military exercises within its own borders. But the U.S. is entirely peaceful when it sends warships thousands of miles away to the Russian border. On Friday, the Russian military intercepted U.S. warplanes reportedly just 12.5 miles from the Russian border. The U.S. and NATO continues to deliver lethal weapons to the government in Kiev, which only emboldens Ukrainian President Zelensky to ratchet up the conflict in eastern Ukraine. The U.S. foreign policy and military establishment exists in an echo chamber. They believe their rhetoric that the rest of the world is eagerly awaiting its orders from Washington and that the U.S. has the moral right and the ability to tell the rest of the world what to do. This sets the stage for a potentially catastrophic miscalculation in the U.S. administration. Already, Russian President Putin complained last week that the U.S. takes its red lines too lightly, no doubt referring to Ukraine. Biden may be calculating that he needs to repeat the announcement, press 1. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bushman live on your radio, hard-hitting talk at your fingertips always, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it, the Ron Paul Report, and you say, wow, Sam, you transitioned from Charlottesville and um, the case with Kyle Rittenhouse and the situation with, uh, you know, January 6th, and all of a sudden you switch to this, quote, international policy discussion with Ron Paul. What's up with that? Well, I would submit to you that it's very similar, isn't it? Uh, internationally, you got all these factions, and it's very hard to know who's who. It's very hard to know who's advocating for what, and it's hard to know who's really genuine versus who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. And we're starting to see a lot of that as far as I can tell locally. In other words, in America, it used to just be kind of foreign affairs was so confusing, but America is pretty clear. Now you're starting to see kind of a different scenario where you got agent provocateurs everywhere. All right. An agent provocateur um, is somebody who incites others to do things. It's somebody who commits or acts to entice another person to commit illegal or rash acts or falsely implicate them as to ruin their reputation or entice legal action against them. Do you think that was done in Charlottesville? See, I think that there's a great chance that that would be the case, but no one's plumbed it. Uh, Tucker Carlson talks about Jan 6th being instigated. Amen. Agent provocateur... Serious, serious business, right? 
Anyway, there you have it. I kind of find it fascinating. Agent provocateurs are a real threat to our way of life, ladies and gentlemen, because any time you and I want to stand up, Anytime you and I want to speak out and do something now, we're going to have to be in fear that they're going to find anything we say or do ahead of time, and they're going to call it a conspiracy to whatever, right? Think about that. Thomas Massey literally played before the House of Representatives and Attorney General Eric Garland or Merrick Garland, there was an informer planted by the FBI to urge Trump supporters to breach the Capitol on January the 6th. Well, I bring this all up, folks, because we're starting to see the same tactics internationally speaking. As far as I can tell, we're starting to see the same tactics used domestically. Yeah. It's scary to think about what we've gone to. Isn't it scary in your mind, too, where we're going? And I believe that a lot of the international uh, efforts to fund and fuel both sides of a war, those same tactics are being used in America right now. And I'm telling you, you better be very, very, very careful of that because the implications are shocking. Now, as you know, Joe Biden's a pervert. We called him Uncle Joe, Grandpa Joe, whacked out pervert Joe. He's always put his hands all over uh, women, whether they be somebody else's wife, all the way down to little kids. The guy's a pervert extraordinaire. Uh, when he was running for office, he even talked about how little kids would love to come up and feel the hair on his legs. I mean, weird stuff at the swimming pool with Joe Biden. Well, now it turns out that Joe Biden gets buffed by a little girl. He leans in and he touches her and invades her personal space and she freaks. He touches her, Western Journal with the piece, and the girl just smacks him. <laughs> wow, I don't mean to laugh at this kind of stuff, ladies and gentlemen. It is indeed serious, but at the same time, you got to laugh so you don't cry, huh? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I know it's Thanksgiving Eve, and we haven't talked much about Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, though. We'll talk about it on Friday in more detail. Uh, next hour, though, we got all kinds of stuff. Things are going on in the country. Another guy was at a protest. We'll tell you all about it in seconds next hour. Hour one of the can, two coming up. LibertyRoundTable.com, LovingLiberty.net. God save the Republic of the United States of America. the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the network refused to use, no doubt, continues now. This is indeed the broadcast for November 24th in the year of our Lord, 2021, this is our two of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Man, there's so much to cover, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about the Unite the Right rally uh, and how people got literally slaughtered on that front, ladies and gentlemen. Jury awards $26 million in Charlottesville Unite the Right. 
Rally Civil Case CBS News. And the problem that I have is it was almost a dragnet. They call it a slap lawsuit when that happens, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what does slap stand for, you ask? It's S-L-A-P-P. Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. Uh, and again, Donald Trump said there are both troublemakers and good people on both sides of that conflict. I agree with that. But the conservatives, the quote, right, white supremacists, if you want to call them that, they were attacked relentlessly and sued in $26 million later. Wow. I don't think they did a good job defending themselves at all. But what about the other side of the aisle? All right. Let me ask you this fundamental question. Were federal agents or assets of the federal government president, or I'm sorry, present at the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally? And uh, somebody needs to dig into that big time because we know with Ammon Bundy there was provocateurs everywhere. Uh, we know at January the 6th now there was provocateurs, right? Federal agent, you may ask. Yes, indeed. FBI quietly drops January 6th provocateur from the most wanted list. Ray Epps is the man, and his story could literally shatter the shatter the government-driven official narrative of the Capitol, quote, breach, right? This is serious indeed. Were there provocateurs at the Kyle Rittenhouse scenario as well? you got to kind of start to ask yourself some of these serious questions indeed. Now, the problem is whenever we go to any place now and protest or peacefully uh, assemble or whatever term you want to use, um, it can go awry, and it can do so so quickly it's shocking. And the allegations that can be made against well, even the former president of the United States, some would say he's still president. The allegations made there without evidence can be shocking. All right, well, let's talk about it in more detail because there's protests all around the country. and We want to keep a finger on the ball for you. Casey Whalen, ladies and gentlemen, is with me. Uh, he's with North Idaho Exposed, and they do a phenomenal job. And uh, he basically emails me and he says, Sam, we protested at the county it's the Bonner County Courthouse in North Idaho. Uh, I guess he got detained for not wearing a mask. And then he says, see below, unite the right. No, that's the wrong group, right? But they might mix it up with people's rights. Whenever you have the term rights or constitution, or it gets very confusing, right? This is people's rights, Ham and Bundy's group. Hi, neighbors. Call to action reminder to please show up to the Bonner County Courthouse. And it gives the address. High noon. We're going to be filming. We're going to be doing a great job. The sheriff is not standing with us. What the heck's up with that? And it goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good in America. And we better be careful that we don't let the narrative go to where they're the bad guys. Accountability is cr critical. And those of us who are pushing for accountability ought to be recognized as heroes, not troublemakers, not white supremacists, not I can go on and on and on and on. But Casey Whalen uh, is doing a great job. North Idaho Exposed, welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on again. I appreciate it. Are you caught up with all these different cases, though? It seems like they're weaving this narrative with a big dragnet. Charlottesville equals um, North Idaho equals uh, January 6th equals... Kyle Rittenhouse equals Hammond Bundy equals, and they're trying to sew this tapestry together that is dishonest as the day is long, Casey. Yeah, that it, it sure is looking that way. 
And um, I mean, I've been an activist for a handful of years now, um, continually going out, um, especially with the COVID thing going on. So, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it happen in real time and it's very uh, frightening. And uh, a lot of people that are, are seeing what's going on, at least, especially in North Idaho are, are starting to get um, concerned, I guess you could say, because uh, this, this is the readout where we live and, you know, freedom and liberty are essential and that's why people move here. And so it's a very great place to fight for liberty because we have so many people that are like-minded. Um, and I think a lot of people on the activist front are getting a little burned out because there's so much on our plates and, uh, you know, there's so much to, 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 to do. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you got to walk a, a tightrope essentially and not, and not try to burn people out. But, um, we th basically we've been trying. I've been trying here in Kootenai County, where I am here in North Idaho, through people's rights and and other people. Great people have been coming together, uh, meeting at the courthouses. We've we've done protests at sheriff's departments, um, all kinds of different things. The uh, health department, um, just anything we can do to prevent mandates uh, from from taking hold um, and becoming uh, a normal which it's, it's not, and it's just, it's, it's just very disturbing. So yeah, to see, to see this, this, this grand narrative being woven right now is, is, uh, is very, very um, eye-opening. And I don't think that should, you know, sway us from doing the right thing. We have to keep doing the right thing. We have to keep upholding the rule of law. As much as it may not seem like we have it right now, I think it's essential that as Americans, we just, we just say, no, we're not going to go along with this. And, you know, the government can come up with fabrications and, and name calling and all that. That's, you know, that's where we are, unfortunately. But I just think we just get with our neighbor and we just have to just stand up together. It's just, you know, it's definitely been time and, and uh, it's, it's, it's an important and very interesting time in history right now. So um, I would just definitely encourage people if you're, I get a lot of questions, how, what can I do in my area to, to stand up for liberty? And everybody's got a different skill set. But I would definitely suggest that people check out peoplesrights.org, or if you're interested, interested in joining through your phone, you can text the word RIGHTS, R-I-G-H-T-S, to 80123. And then basically it's a communications Hold network on. Eight, where... 80123, 80123, just text the keyword RIGHTS with an S, plural. You got more than one, ladies and gentlemen, God-given, inalienable right. So uh, text the word RIGHTS. To eight zero one two three. Go ahead. I just want to make sure everybody got that, sir. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important. And 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 so we. I mean, the it's a network, and um, it's not, um, or it's a communications network basically, so that we can. So every state is broken up into areas that consist of a certain number of counties, depending on how many people are in that area. And then every area has an area assistant, so that if there's an issue in 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 your area. Uh, where government tyranny may be involved, then we can send out a text message to people in your area to come and support you. And we've been doing this since March of 2020, um, since the start of COVID, essentially, well, you know, which I don't really even believe that COVID's real because it hasn't been proven, but, um, you know, we've been very, very effective. Um, we are the antithesis to, I mean, it's kind of shaped up to be we're the antithesis to the cultural Marxist revolution because we're pro-family we're protecting rights and the human rights networks just they just do not like us they write articles about uh, people's rights and how we're like you were saying white supremacists 
They talk about Richard Mack of the Constitution Sheriffs and Police Officers Association and how he promotes community supremacy. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Let's talk about that a little bit in just a second. But I want to highlight really quickly, we're talking about people's rights. We're not talking about Unite the Right. See, I was not involved in Unite the Right at all, ladies and gentlemen. I did cover it as a newsman, but I haven't been involved. But I'm absolutely involved with people's rights. Peoplesrights.org, great organization founded by Ammon Bundy, who's now taken a step back from the organization, not because he doesn't support it a thousand percent, but because he's running for governor who I endorsed verbally and in writing for governor of the great state of Idaho. Now, that's who my candidate is, is Ammon Bundy. And I really appreciate him and his leadership and his uh, dedication to all things moral and all things good, honorable, and just. Um, but I digress. I, I bring this up because I want to make sure people understand it's not Unite the Right. This is people's rights. Uh, totally different groups, unrelated, by the way. Yeah, and we have over. So Go ahead. I'm sorry. People's rights have been, have been working on this literally for a couple of years now, and they do have uh, uh, areas, and in your area then you can get information from uh, the whole group if it's a national discussion and or your smaller group based on your area. So uh, they have the ability to kind of break it down, and if you're in northern Idaho, they say, hey, come to this event at high noon. Uh, we're going to be um, here. We're going to be uh, protesting. We're going to be standing up for um, our rights not to be violated by these mandates. And that's what Casey Whalen and others, North Idaho Exposed, um, they protested at the Bonner County Courthouse in North Idaho. Now, you got detained for not wearing a mask, and I want to get into the sheriff's stuff. We'll, we'll do that coming up. But um, you, was this inside or outside? Well, it, it, it's a little bit more substance there. Um, we had protested at the Kootenai County Courthouse. A friend of mine, Garth Gaylord, who was actually arrested at the Ada County Courthouse when Ammon Bundy and Aaron Von Schmidt were arrested on a bench warrant after they refused to go into their uh, court case without a mask on. The judge issued a bench warrant for failure to appear. The Ada County. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's be clear: they appeared, they were there. Right. They just would mm -hmm. not go into the court case without. Or I'm not saying they wouldn't go into the court um, to quote be present because they said, "Well, you're not allowed to enter without mask." And they said, "We're not wearing a mask." And they said, "Well, you're not going to the court then." Well, then they said, "Well, you failed to appear." Which is blatantly yeah, so, really a lie. Yeah, the sheriff a rushed out the crowd. Lie, ladies and gentlemen, because they were there. Let's come back in seconds and talk to Casey okay. Whalen more about that and how that dovetails into their protest and what happened at all these events. We'll do it in seconds on your radio. Okay, girls, about finished with your lesson on money. Daddy, what is a buy-sell spread for gold coins? Well, when you sell a gold coin to a coin shop that's worth, say, $1,200, you don't actually get $1,200. But don't worry, we're members of UPMA now, so we don't have to worry about that. Daddy, what if somebody steals our gold? We don't have any gold at the house. It's stored safely in the UPMA vault, securely and insured. But the S&P 500 outperformed gold. Daddy, gold is a bad investment. Some people do think of it that way. But actually, gold is money. And as members of the United Precious Metals Association, we can use our gold at any store, just like a credit card. Or I can ask them to drop it right into mommy and daddy's bank account because we're a UPMA member family. Find out more at UPMA.org. That's UPMA.org. 
Why don't we say to the government writ large that they have to spend a little bit less? Anybody ever had less money this year than you had last? Anybody better have a 1% pay cut? You deal with it. That's what government needs, a 1% pay cut. If you take a 1% pay cut across the board, you have more than enough money to actually pay for the disaster relief. But nobody's going to do that because they're fiscally irresponsible. Who are they? Republicans. Who are they? Democrats. Who are they? Virtually the whole body is careless and reckless with your money. So the money will not be offset by cuts anywhere. The money will be added to the debt, and there will be a day of reckoning. What's the day of reckoning? The day of reckoning may well be the collapse of the stock market. The day of reckoning may be the collapse of the dollar. When it comes, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you it has happened repeatedly in history when countries ruin their currency. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Casey Whalen with me. We're talking about North Idaho. Idaho really is a state we're talking about in general right now, too, because there's protests all over the state. But Casey Whalen doing a great job, ladies and gentlemen. North Idaho exposed his organization. Uh, so you were kind of mentioning uh, that your buddy got arrested in Ada County. Uh, you were mentioning that uh, Ammon Bundy and those guys were really um, – and uh, basically in trouble because they supposedly didn't show up at their court case, but really they were there. They just weren't allowed to be in without a mask, and they refused to go in without a mask, and uh, thus the battle begun, right, Casey? Right, essentially. I mean, it had already been going on, but but this is just another, you know, it's another an instance of, 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 you know, tyranny. And so the Ada County Sheriff's Department essentially rushed the crowd of protesters with Ammon, Bundy, and Aaron, and two people were arrested, or at least charged. Yeah, I think uh, I think I can't remember if they were arrested off the top of my head. Just been so many things going on lately uh, over the last year or two. And um, anyways, uh, Garth, my friend who'd come up here to help me protest at the Kootenai County Courthouse uh, last week, uh, he he was charged with obstruction and and things like that. And he was just standing in the crowd. And another man who's 70 years old and has Parkinson's, Casey Baker, he was charged with things too. And they were just standing in the crowd. So it was really a way, it seemed like the, the state was just trying to, to drum up charges. So my friend Garth had these charges, you know, from that instance, um, and he never would go to his court, or he would try to go to his court case, you know, at the, at the courthouse in Ada County, and they wouldn't let him in. So anyways, he became a fugitive because he just wouldn't go to his trial. He wouldn't do Zoom. So he came up here, and we, we went to the courthouse to protest, and, you know, he just wanted to do the right thing. You know, he doesn't he didn't really care that he had these you know, he had a warrant out for his arrest in Ada County, but he just still wanted to promote freedom and liberty. And so that we went to the Kootenai County Courthouse. I filmed Garth going in the lobby with a, a face shield on. He took the face shield off and then sat down on the bench, essentially. These are all videos on my YouTube channel, too, North Idaho Exposed. Um, so he sits down on a bench. Um, essentially, long story short, he's arrested or tra- he's detained, taken to a cell in the Kootenai County Courthouse. Um, you know, put in cuffs, I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, I can't remember, I, I don't know if he was put in cuffs, honestly, I'm assuming he was, um, and the cops show up and they basically uh, verbally trespass him, they don't charge him with trespass, and so there's no crime, there's no, he didn't do anything wrong, um, wearing a mask in the courthouse isn't a law, and we have the Idaho Constitution under Article 1, Section 18, which states that justice to be freely and speedily administered. Courts of justice shall be open to every person, comma, 
goes on to say, and right and justice shall be administered without fail, denial, delay, and prejudice. So that was one of the things we've been trying to use to uh, gain access to the courthouses. So we decided to go to the Bonner County Courthouse. And that's uh, Sheriff Wheeler, Daryl Wheeler. And he's got a reputation for being a very sound constitutional sheriff. So I thought, well, maybe this is a place where if we just get one county to, to defy these orders and, and open up our courthouses, then, you know, that's going to be great. It's going to start a momentum, a wave, maybe across the nation. And so anyways, we went to Bonner County two days ago. Uh, I got a call from Sheriff Wheeler's administrative assistant after I called the Sheriff's Department a couple days prior. And basically, she stated that the courthouse has its own jurisdiction and the Idaho Supreme Court can mandate uh, the rules in the courthouse. So I guess my argument is, well, it's in the county and your job is to promote our, or protect our rights. So, um, you know, that's just an excuse. So anyways, that's, that's the, the sheriff's stance. He's just, um, I, I really do think he wants to do the right thing, but for whatever reason, you know, they're just telling us to take it up with the judiciary. And I mean, that's just, if, if tyranny is happening in your county, I want the sheriff to do something about it now, not wait a number of months or years, you know, it's been going on for two years already. So anyways, uh, I went into the courthouse with some people. Um, Garth was arrested right away when we showed up at the Bonner County Courthouse two days ago uh, with Idaho State Police and the Sandpoint Police arrested him for his warrant. So he's uh, awaiting extradition right now at the Bonner County Sheriff's Department. And so then uh, I decided to go into the, the lobby way with some protesters and um, the, mar the, the, uh, the bailiff basically just told us immediately, uh, we know better, you know, to, 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 get, to leave the lobby way right away. Otherwise, we would be arrested <clears throat> or put a mask on. And so we kept asking him questions. We tried to show him the law, you know, Article 1, Section 18, which I just read, and he just he just ignored it and just told us to leave. And then he basically detained me because I kept trying to get his name. And uh, they put me in leg irons. Uh, they attached, you know, put me in handcuffs that were attached to my waist. And I had to, you know, go into a cell at the Bonner County Courthouse for, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes. And then they talked with the uh, first district judicial judge, Richard Christensen, and he decided to trespassed me from the Bonner County Courthouse for a year without any charges. Are you there? Now, this is this okay. is very strange and hard to kind of understand. So you're saying that what they're doing is they're kind of uh, claiming people are trespassing, but yet they don't really have law on their side. They don't really have right. charges necessarily <laughs> filed. It's just kind of an edict from whoever's going to arrest you and or an edict from a judge without backing of of real law without appropriate due process. I mean, we can go on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's unbelievable. I just thought for sure, you know, the Bonner County Sheriff would do something about it. And I, I think he may he may be trying to, to do something about it, but um, we're just putting it to him. I mean, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, yeah, you can go through the judiciary and all that, but I, I, just, I, I just feel like it, right is right, wrong is wrong, and I expect the Sheriff to do something about it. I mean. You know, what are your thoughts on this, Sam? I mean, you're part of the well. The so let's SPOA. let's talk about this for a second because let's kind of dig into this. First off, the sheriff is Daryl Wheeler, 
Uh, he's the Bonner County Sheriff uh, up in northern Idaho. And a lot of people have considered him a constitutional guy and a good guy for a long time. And, hey, why doesn't mm-hmm. he do something here? And so far, he's kind of chosen just to say, let it take its course, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. The problem that I have with that, so you want my thoughts. The problem that I have with that is Cheryl Darrell, or Sheriff Darrell Wheeler. Uh, I want to point out a couple of things. Number one, your whole job is the executive in a county. Okay, so remember, ladies and gentlemen, we have checks and balances all over the greatest country on the face of the earth. There's a check on the federal government. They can't force the states and or the local officials to do things. If you don't believe me, uh, Richard Mack went to the Supreme Court and beat Bill Clinton over this very topic, right? So it's the greatest Tenth Amendment decision ever rendered in America today. Uh, And Anthony Scalia, the justice there, basically wrote the um, winning, do they call that an opinion or decision? It's both, right? Anyway, um, basically saying, hey, there's dual sovereignties. The federal government and the states, they have sovereignty there. Um, The consent of the governed, according to the Declaration of Independence, we gave certain responsibilities to the federal government, and they're sovereign in that, as long as they stay within their lane, if you will. And then the states uh, and the people, uh, again, respectively, according to the Tenth Amendment, uh, have their lane, and we gave consent to them. Well, we gave consent not only on the vertical level, but the horizontal level as well, which means checks and balances from the state, and the federal government, and all the way down to your county, which is you've got a judicial branch, a legislative branch, and an executive branch. Right now, what um, folks are saying in northern Idaho, specifically Casey Whalen in this case, is, hey, you know what? The judiciary is out of control. They're claiming that I'm guilty of breaking laws uh, that don't exist, and that I'm guilty of um, uh, violating trespass, which how can I be the only one of the public to trespass? Why do I trespass and somebody else not trespass? That is a legal conundrum uh, that we're finding to be a serious problem. Why? Because there's no literal charges filed, because there's no appropriate due process um, afforded, uh, etc. And so, hey, what Casey and others are saying is, ladies and gentlemen, you just can't have the courts do that. You can't have the legislative body not make any law and then the court uphold a law that was never made. So executive, hey, sheriff, what the heck is the question? And in this case, when it comes to Bonner County, they're saying, Sheriff Daryl Wheeler, can you help us with this? Now, I personally believe Daryl has an obligation to stand up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you want to know what I think, I'm not going to hesitate or back away from this one second. I'm just trying to set the stage for my comments because you know they're going to try to take them out of context. And I want to put the context in such a way to highlight the reality of what we're saying and what we're not saying. I'm saying to the sheriff, sheriff, you have an obligation as the chief chief executive in your county to do your duty. And that is to say, hey, has Casey Whalen's rights been violated or has Casey violated a law? Okay, there's no gray area. There's no hesitation or debating or let somebody else handle it or I don't want to. Maybe the buck stops with Janet Reno lies. Okay, this is this is fundamentally a real question. If Casey's rights have been violated, if he has not been afforded due process, then the sheriff needs to stand up and say, I'm not necessarily defending Casey and what he's done, but I am defending Casey's right to a jury of his peers, which is part of due process, and I'm going to stand on the due process thing. Hey, you know what? Arresting party, do you have your documentation in order? Show it to me. And if you do, then we'll talk about it. If you don't, then you need to stop. Okay, that's what we're insisting the sheriff do and asking the sheriff to do here. We're not telling him to agree with Casey. We're not telling him to take sides in a, quote, case if there is one. 
What we're merely saying is due process is what the sheriff needs to stand up for. This is not debatable. He's not agreeing. He's not picking sides. He's not going against the courts. Okay? Or the judiciary, if you will. He's not doing that. He's merely saying, I am here to ensure that you are not violated in your rights. And I am here to ensure that you, when I say you, I mean Casey, but I also mean any member of the public, right? You, me, all of us, that you get due process. So we're not agreeing with Casey here. We're not disagreeing with Casey either. Don't misunderstand me. And it's not that I disagree with Casey. It's that I'm trying to make a point of understanding for the sheriff. You're simply saying, hey, if he's been arrested and or detained on what grounds? If there are charges, then file them. And if there are not, drop it. In the meantime, though, there's a way we go about this. We don't just go about it because we don't like Casey or we think that, you know, this or that. There's a law. And if there's a law, it needs to be upheld. And if there's not a law, okay, so one, we're judging the law and the discussion. And the sheriff's obligation is to defend his citizens and say, if there's a law, show it to us. And if there's not, no harm, no foul, you're free to go. Okay, but in addition to the law, though, we need to judge the reality of due process. Even if there is or is not a law, there's a way we handle citizens in our interactions with them. And it's not just willy-nilly. It's not just like, hey, redneck, come on over here and shackle this guy. It's like, wait a minute. There's a process that we carry out. Why are we appealing to you, Sheriff, is kind of the next question, Casey. Why would we go to the sheriff and say, this is his job, this is his duty? Well, if you go to the... CSPOA.org, that's the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. Then you say this, the law enforcement powers held by the sheriff supersede those of any agent, officer, elected official, and or employee from any level of government when you're in the jurisdiction of the county. And this is exactly right. And you say, well, no, somebody else is over the sheriff. And my response is who? You say, well, Sam, the president, the governor. No, they're not. No, they're not. Remember how we talked about this dual sovereignty? Bill Clinton thought he was over Sheriff Richard Mack, and Bill lied and threatened to arrest Sheriff Mack. Mack went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, Mack's right. Mack's forced to keep his oath of office or betray his oath and obey the, quote, commander-in-chief. But the commander-in-chief has no jurisdiction. Okay, that was the battle. Now, a lot of people mock the CSPOA saying, wow, you guys think the sheriff's a king. You think he's like a god, don't you? No, we don't think that at all, ladies and gentlemen. But we do understand jurisdictional separations here, okay? The vertical separation of powers in the Constitution makes it clear that the power of the sheriff supersedes the power of the president. Where? In the county, where the county sheriff has been duly elected by the people. And if you say, well, the sheriff needs to be reined in, he's out of control, great. That's why you have a legislative body to make law. You have a judicial uh, division that can interpret law. You have the people that can reelect him or not. They can elect somebody else. There's ways to rein in out-of-control sheriffs. We're not saying they're king. But what we're saying is here, if we don't respect these jurisdictional boundaries, then you have no government. Because what's to stop the federal government from doing whatever they want to the counties? Then what's to stop the, quote, international global government 
from just reaching in past the federal government right on into the states, right on down to the county. Ladies and gentlemen, our government is a series of checks and balances which create a principle called law and order here. We're not saying the sheriff's a king. What we're saying is he has jurisdictional authority. And there are ways to rein him in as well, ladies and gentlemen. There are ways to rein him in as well. And that's a fundamental reality that I want to make sure we start uh, discussing here, Casey. And I'm sorry for such a long response to your question about what do I think. But I do agree with the CSPOA completely. I do agree that the consent of the governed, we the people, gave certain responsibilities to certain branches of government vertically and horizontally. And if we're not going to uphold those, we end up with no law and order. I think Mm -hmm. it's the sheriff's duty uh, to look into this for you and others and say, hey, have you violated a law? If so, what are they? Good. Let's go uh, about that following due process. But if laws have not been broken, then we need to slap the hand of those who pretend they can make law on the fly, who think they can just walk around like thugs and, and, and demand edicts that don't have any backing by the legislative branch in a given county and or state for that matter. So that's what I think, Casey. I think that the sheriff has a duty here. Absolutely. And I spoke with, like I said, Cheryl, his administrative assistant, Sheriff Wheeler's assistant. And in the phone, we were on the way to the Bonner County Courthouse at the time, and, and she says that we're promoting anarchy by doing this. So and my response you- is that's a neat, that's a neat theory. <laughs> what I want to talk about, though, is when we talk about anarchy, what laws have we broken? Anarchists break mm-hmm. laws. Mm-hmm. If you believe in, you know, I, I don't even believe in their, their definition of anarchy. That's a whole other topic, though. Exactly. But what laws have been broken, I want to understand. And then let's talk about those. And what's the remedy for breaking those law? And what's the due process to carry out that remedy? Isn't that a fair question? Sure. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So I, it just, it's, it's just very interesting. It's an, it's an interesting litmus test to put the, the rule of law to these people in real time and, and to see their reactions. And I mean, it really shows you where you are in your community just by, you know, just read your bill of rights in, in, in your state constitution and find out your additional enumerated rights. And it's not, I, state constitution isn't supreme, but those, those rights are the law. And so some judge doesn't just get to write a rule that supersedes that. So that's where we're having the issue. And I don't understand this. If we have these judges in the Idaho Supreme Court passing these orders, I mean, I just don't understand it. And so no one's yet been able to really explain to me how this is possible. Apparently, some people talked with the sheriff yesterday, and he told them it was like Article 5, Section 6, and, and that's the judiciary, the ju- judicial department in the Idaho Constitution. But, I mean, I just can't find anything that well, – I don't know why the Idaho Constitution would contradict itself, but <laughs> anyway, it's just – it's just a very, very interesting thing because I did I never thought Sheriff Wheeler would be one. You know, he's always been touted as the constitutional sheriff. So, and I'm not throwing him under the bus. I just I want I'm hoping he'll do the right thing. So, well, and what I want to know though is what law are we talking about? Are there charges filed against you? No, they didn't. So that's the thing. They're not filing charges. They they make it sound like oh well you know we're we're not going to file charges against you today. We're just gonna you just trespass from here for a year. So they're just they're not even. They know that they know there's no law. They probably know that they're well, wrong. Where, where's so the documentation just, then? Where's the documentation where they can create a list of trespassers and the time of trespass? <laughs> uh, I don't know what you call it, allowability mm-hmm. or deniability. But, okay, where's the list? And when, when, when Casey rolls to the court tomorrow and wants to go in there, uh, 
Is there a list that they're referring to? And what gives them I, the authority to create and keep and maintain and refer to that list? Well, the sand – so I, I spoke with Lieutenant Chamberlain. I've, I've dealt with him before doing activism in Sandpoint where this occurred. And he, he came in and basically let me out of the cell with uh, one of the bailiffs. And he took my name and my, my birth date and my address so that he could put me in, you know, the computer for being trespassed from the courthouse. So the police department's going along with it, and they're, they're still doing what they normally do, but there's no – I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't broken any law. So now my guess, guess is my guess is this, and I'm not telling you that I defend this. I'm just telling you that I think this is a, a reality discussion, and I bring this up for knowledge, not that I agree with it at all. Don't misunderstand me when I when I bring this up. Um, I think oftentimes there are police departments in given cities. So say Sandpoint, Idaho, just say it's a city, uh, and it's in Bonner County. Oftentimes there's a police chief that runs the city, and he uh, is not elected. He oftentimes is appointed by either the city council, a city manager, mm-hmm. a mayor. It all depends mayor, on the structure yeah. of the city, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy now is at odds with the sheriff by very nature. I don't know why cities have done this, but they've become incorporated organizations, and they want to have control themselves. So they've tried to wrest control from the sheriff and create this kind of a, I don't know what you call it. It's in the county of the sheriff, so it's in his jurisdiction, but yet it's a carved out. We think we can be boss in our little carved out area. And so it puts the sheriff, the duly elected official, at odds with this appointed, um, I'm going to call him a bureaucrat, because if you're appointed, that's what you are, okay? And it puts the sheriff at odds with this bureaucrat. Now it's very sticky for the sheriff, because how much does he push his weight around? Does he have the right to respect uh, or defy a city and the city council? Uh, and the corporate setup, and what they've managed to do is create a a, a whole um, litany of laws and regulations and rules and guidelines that muddy the water for the sheriff. And oftentimes the sheriff doesn't want to. He's only got so much political capital as an elected official, as you know. And so oftentimes they don't want to use their political capital, if you will, or have the public um, image go against them to the point where uh, they lose all their power. Not because they lost their power from the election, but because now they're kind of in the doghouse, so to speak. I'm not defending that position. I'm saying a lot of sheriffs, though, um, hesitate for those reasons. Right. It's, the, it's been the creep of the administrative state. And unfortunately, yes. the sheriff's department has become it's fallen victim to it also. I mean, they're still they're, they're enforcing victimless crimes. So I, I don't know if it's really – I don't know if I would say it's clear, as clear-cut as that because I still think they're somewhat part of the – I mean, of course, they're part of the administrative state to a degree. Well, and, and the sheriff the right... can certainly stand up. The sheriff can certainly right, stand exactly. up and say, listen, I advocate for this gentleman, and he can go to the police chief and everybody else and say, listen, you guys are on thin ground here. I know you can claim this is your jurisdiction, not mine and everything else, but I'm telling you this is leading to no good, and this is creating angst within the society and community. and so he could boldly stand up nevertheless, and I think he should. I'm not making excuses for that. Sure, I'm just sure. telling you where I think we in America have a problem. And the real problem is when we allowed cities to eke out their own jurisdictions within the sheriff's boundaries in the first place. That's when the sheriff should have stood up and went, hold on, stop, no. We don't want this, and here's why. We failed to be um, educational enough and insistent enough at the time where a lot of these situations have, have kind of sprung up where we've allowed this to occur. Um, so – I'm not really here to to um, blame the current sheriff for that. He probably uh, got elected into this mess. 
Um, but I am kind of articulating why I think a lot of these sheriffs are having trouble and, and not dealing with this as appropriately and as cleanly as they should. That doesn't give them an excuse, and I'm not saying that it does. I'm just telling you that it's a reality, that's a reality that we're facing right. all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's that's the truth. That's why I'm not trying to be. I, I, we still got to call call out the sheriff, but yet I think it's fair to give them an opportunity to do the right thing because that's what we want. And he's a good man, I think. And he, you know, I want to, you know, we sh- he sh- if he can do, he sh- he can do something. And I, there's just no reason why he can't. I mean, he he can just, and he should. And so yeah, the question absolutely. becomes, Casey, what would you like him to do? I'll tell you what I'd like him to do. But what would you like <laughs> him to do first? Well, I think it would set a. a, a a strong message to the nation and gosh the first per the first county that does this they are going to be heroes i mean a lot of people are going to admire whoever does this first <laughs> so i'm hoping it will be bonner county and sheriff wheeler to, that will open up the courts for the people and then the other i would like then hopefully the other counties will start getting it and um i i mean i understand they have to somewhat defy the courts and all this to, to do to do that but I don't care. It's it's a law, and, and our rights are. But more see, I don't. I don't that. think they have. I don't. I don't agree with that, Casey. And let me explain. I don't think that the sheriff's defying the courts. I think the sheriff uh, has every right to stand up for the rule of law, and those who are not obeying the rule of law are defying the courts. So you have individuals mm-hmm. now defying the courts, defying the legislative body, and defying the executive branch by taking action under themselves, by taking authority mm-hmm. under themselves, which they have not been given. Okay, they're the ones out of line. Let's be clear who's out of line here. Um, Casey is not involved in civil disobedience. Casey is involved in peacefully assembling, which he has every right to do. It's those who take power into themselves that has not been granted. They're the ones that have gone rogue. Let's be clear. We're not asking the sheriff to defend their rogue attitudes or their behavior. We're asking the sheriff to stand with the rule of law and morality and call a halt to those rogue agents. Quick pause in second. You know where the solution can be found, Mr. President? In churches, in wedding chapels, in maternity wards across the country and around the world. More babies will mean forward-looking adults, the sort we need to tackle long-term, large-scale problems. American babies in particular are likely going to be wealthier, better educated, and more conservation-minded than children raised in still industrializing countries. As economist Tyler Cowen recently wrote, quote, by having more children, you're making your nation more populous, thus boosting its capacity to solve climate change. The planet does not need for us to think globally and act locally so much as it needs us to think family and act personally. The solution to so many of our problems at all times and in all places is to fall in love get married, and have some kids. The Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit legal foundation committed to protecting our unalienable right to publicly acknowledge God. The Foundation for Moral Law exists to restore the knowledge of God in law and government and to acknowledge and defend the truth that man is endowed with rights not by our fellow man, but by God. The Foundation maintains a twofold focus. First, litigation within state and federal courts. Second, education, conducting seminars to teach the necessity and importance of acknowledging God in law and government. How can you help? 
please make a tax-deductible contribution, allowing foundation attorneys to continue the fight. You may also purchase various foundation products as well at morallaw.org. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, the Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3 founded by Judge Roy Moore. Please partner with us to achieve this important mission, morallaw.org. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Casey Whalen with me. We're talking about he got um, detained, and I don't know if he got arrested or not. It's hard to say if there's no charges. <laughs> he got shackled, and he got tossed in the uh, cell there for a bit, and then he got let go, and it's like, hey, you're not allowed to trespass. You're not allowed to come to the courts for a year. The problem is that I don't really see it as due process was upheld. And I don't see a situation where if we've got these laws, where do they get the right to have a list of, quote, trespassers uh, on the courts? They got a list, but not a law, no charges filed. And um, do we got victimless crimes here or do we have victims now? See, to me, if they shackle you and throw you in a cell, you're like a victim of their abuse. First of all, do they Mm -hmm. have the authority to do that? So I'm not calling on the sheriff to to go against the courts or go against anybody. I'm merely saying the sheriff has a duty. Just stand up for a citizen and say, look, did we dot the I's and cross the T's properly? And if we did, fine. But if we did not, then I've got to stand for those who have been disenfranchised, those who Mm -hmm. have been victimized by a system where those who think they have godlike power and who flex their muscle and who violate rights in doing so, that I hold them accountable. That's the sheriff's duty. And it's not going against anybody except for rogue agents. That's the way I see it, Casey. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, Sam. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just time. We got to, I mean, I just encourage people that are listening to, you know, if you have a couple friends, you know, read your your constitution, your state constitution, maybe find something in there that you can use. Read the constitution itself and find a couple things you can use and go into the courthouse and just assert your rights and just, you know, d- defy. We have to defy. It's time to be defiant. And I think it's time for mass civil noncompliance. I mean, we have to we got to put throw something in the in the in the cogs here and, and, and stop this madness so it's only gonna take a handful of people to say no and, and it's very powerful i'm sure as, as you as you know just to just to be defiant so i just encourage people that's what we, i think that's what we have to do because otherwise what you know the courts can just mandate whatever they want then in the, in the courthouse right i mean they're already keep, uh, kicking cameras out of the courthouses um where you may may have been able to take cameras in before they're really starting to push back on that and not even allow cameras maybe in the lobby so much anymore in some places. So um, I just feel like they're just really trying to dominate the courthouse um, depending on whatever they want. So um, we just got to stand up. It's time. So. Well, and for example, in the case of Evan Bundy in um, Oregon where Marcus Munford got a decision uh, where Evan Bundy was not guilty from a jury, uh, and then literally they tased the attorney in the court. I don't think they want to <laughs> yeah, uh, right. have it on, on film when they're tasing attorneys and stuff. So that's why they <laughs> want to be so locked down in the courthouses. Because yeah. then we can't go, wait a minute, why did you just tase like a, the attorney like a star crying out loud? Yeah, and it just shows how out of control these people are when they, when they uh, result to thuggish tactics like this. So let me explain what I would like the sheriff to do in this case. And again, I'm just representing myself, Sam Bushman, nobody else. I'm just giving you my opinion, but here's what I would like the sheriff to do. I'd like the sheriff to draft an open letter to the public. He actually has. To the, 
to the court. And, and, and But here's what I'd like this letter to say. I'd like the letter to say I stand for the due process of all citizens uh, who are my constituents mm-hmm. and all citizens who come into my county who have, again, the this is America. When you go from county to county, state to state, uh, we uphold your rights. That's why we have the United States. Otherwise, what's the value of the states uniting at all if they don't make sure that we can travel this free country uh, as free people? But And I'd like him to say in his open letter, you know what? I defend rights. And I'm going to insist that public officials obey the laws of the land and carry out due process. And um, whether it's vertical or horizontal checks and balances, I expect those checks and balances to be honored. And if you mm-hmm. can find somebody violating the law, if there's legitimate trespass, then you need to show, uh, you know, probable cause and show evidence of this. And you know what? They have their day in court. If Casey says he didn't trespass and you say that he did, let's find the details of the law and let's go ahead and take Casey to court and let's, you know, air it out and let Casey have a jury of his peers and let's let the whole process play out and we'll see mm-hmm. because it could be that the citizens in a fully informed jury say you know what I agree that Casey did go into the building with a mask on or without a mask on or he did do this but we think it's a bogus law <laughs> we think it's just outrageous that that's if there even is a law right mm-hmm. but but I digress I go on to say that what I want the sheriff to do is stake out his position nobly independently and publicly to say this is what I stand for and this is what I am going to do. This is my job and my duty and my responsibility and I'm gonna do my very best to insist that it happens. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's wrong. I think he needs to say I'll rein in rogue agents. If they're right, I'll back them and if they're not, we want accountability and transparency everywhere. And so yep. when you say he wrote an open letter, did he do that, Casey? I, well, I, I haven't read it. I've been I've been busy working, <laughs> but uh, I, I think it just came out maybe yesterday. Um, uh, and I don't really know the specifics. I just know that there was a letter put out publicly. Um, and after this chat that my friends had with the sheriff, it sounds like they were saying he was really, you know, like he really seemed like he cared um, and he wanted to do something about it. And then again, like I said, he mentioned uh, apparently, from what I understand, um, a, a clause in the Idaho Constitution that allows the Idaho Supreme Court to pass rules in the courthouse. And of course they can, but they can't contradict our rights. So I don't really know. I don't really know what's going on there. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, yeah. hold on. Um, Passing a rule doesn't mean there's a law behind a rule anyway. If there's a right. rule that you have to wear a well, mask yeah. in the county yeah, courthouse, exactly. then in order to not violate your rights, we got to have some way for you to, if you're not willing to wear a mask, to meet outside the courthouse for your adjudication then, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the it's even worse, actually, at the Bonner County Courthouse. They even, because of, well, COVID, they even passed, they basically say that you can't even go in the courthouse unless you have business. So I think that's ultimately where this is going maybe across the board, where they just have Zoom meetings or virtual meetings, um, and then you can't go in the courthouse without business. Maybe that's where they want it to go so they can control things better. I, I don't, you know, it's just very evil. And, um, yeah, so you can't even go in the courthouse without business, period. We, so the mask isn't real. I mean, the mask is an issue, but it's, it's just that you, if you don't have business, they're not letting you in the courthouse. Well, and then we got to debate what the business is, because if I want to go and support a friend uh, and or whatever, or go and, uh, you know, view the proceedings as, as maybe a journalist or a media personnel or whatever else, you know, where does this stop? 
And when they start exactly. doing that, if you're not very careful, they're going to create all kinds of suspicion. Why is government locking everybody out of their star chamber? I know you mentioned that before, <laughs> but I think that's really critical to understand. Hey, when this yeah. becomes secret, and it's Absolutely. like, hey, my friend goes in there, and he never comes out because he's in prison or who knows what. Mm -hmm. um, what happened yeah. in there? And, and this brings up a whole even scarier scenario than your rights being, being violated that we can discuss because pretty soon it'll be we can't even discuss it. And if you cast your mind back, ladies and gentlemen, I used to interview a guy by the name of George Hansen who was from Idaho, who was a congressman who took on the IRS and got slaughtered for it. Well, he came on the radio with me over and over and over talking about how they put him in diesel therapy, if you know what that is. Diesel therapy is where they literally um, they put you in prison. But then they don't let you stay in a prison, uh, prison and get comfortable. They just truck you around the United States in a truck, and you're just always traveling, always traveling. You never know where you are. You never know what time zone you're in. You never know when it's day or night because they, they make it dark in there all the time, and they don't feed you well, and you don't have the proper ability to go to the restroom. Pretty soon they just wear you down with this diesel therapy, and it's just flat-out mm -hmm. abuse. Well, eventually George Hansen won his cases and got a chunk of change. Not near enough. They ruined his life. I bring this up because is that where we're headed? Casey, if we're not yeah. very careful? I think so. Well, I wanted to mention, too, in that thread, uh, my friend Garth Gaylord, who was arrested at the Bonner County Courthouse for an outstanding warrant in Ada County, uh, when he, we asked yesterday about his, so he's being extradited to Ada County, and he has a Zoom, he had a Zoom meeting yesterday at 1.15, and apparently the people that were checking into this were told that we can't, we can't watch it. We can't, we can't view his his proceedings. So that's another very troubling issue right there, reinforcing the idea of the star chamber, right? You know, where you can't even watch your friend's uh, um, Zoom meeting or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's getting insane. So Ladies that's, and I mean, the if, point if we is don't we're... stand up now, or just, it's, it's going to get way worse. Yeah, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, we're on the precipice of some very mm -hmm. serious crossroads in America. They've been uh, assuming authority unjustly for so long now. When they get opposition, they just panic and freak and turn into tyrants. And the reality is now that we're starting to put a check and balance on this, which we should have done a long, long time ago, and we would not be at the state of affairs if we had. Uh, nevertheless, now that we are, uh, this is getting crazy. And are we gonna be able to rein these people in peacefully? Or are they just going to get out of control and create star chambers in the courts, create unaccountable bureaucrats that nobody can contact or get a hold of or, or deal with in any way? Is that where we're headed? Because if we do, I see a dark future for the country, Casey. Mm -hmm. And, and wanna, I want to share, too, when, I was, when they were taking me in the back, you know, I was cuffed and everything, and they're putting leg irons on me and all this kind of stuff. I was, I was just kept, kept asking for their names, and I was getting a little a little bit mean kind of um but i asked if they were in the military and this guy stops and i had my head against the wall and he was kind of being a little, a little rough with me but it wasn't too bad and then he uh he stopped and he stepped into my ice my purview um with my head against the wall and he's he's like listen um you know we understand what you're doing we agree with you is what they both said and that they watched my channel and all so they mean like they they want they know they're doing the wrong thing I mean, they admitted it. They want to do the right. They they really do want. I think I really do feel like they want to do the right thing. I think a lot of these guys they understand what's going on, and then they always come back to, well, it's just my job. I got to keep the court safe. They just come up with these excuses. But I, I really do feel like, at some point, some of these guys are gonna stand up because they're they're the ones doing the you know, they're the they're the enforcers a lot of times, and they got to deal with a bunch of the 
stuff most people don't want to. So I don't know. I just feel like God's uh, doing his thing, and, and I just feel like, you know, these guys ultimately know they're doing the wrong thing. And, and I think at some point I'm, I'm really, you know, I just hope that they, because we need, we, need we need those people in law enforcement. They're good people. A lot of them are good people. It's just the system has just gone so far south that we have to, um, and uh, we have to lovingly care about our neighbors and our friends that are in these positions um, and just encourage them to do the right thing. And, and I just really feel like through, you know, natural law, it's going to fix it. I mean, it's getting so bad that, that you can't ignore it anymore. So um, we just got to keep, keep on pushing, keep on um, putting pressure on, on your sheriff, um, encourage him to do the right thing. And um, one we'll thing there, to mention before the end of the hour, Casey, Maybe. is courage begats courage, okay? And so if the sheriff would stand up and put an open letter together like mm-hmm. I'm saying, look, we're not attacking anybody. We're simply going to uphold due process and the law, though, and we're going to expect everybody to transparently uh, and, and with accountability deal with uh, the law. Now, if you don't like the law, the legislative body, change it. Fine. We can discuss that, uh, if, but you're not just going to run around rogue and do whatever you want to. This is a shout out. We're not going to tolerate uh, rogue behavior yeah. in our system. We're not doing it at the mm-hmm. county level. That's all I'm asking the sheriff to do. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, we need to realize that when, when one person stands up, like Casey Whalen and others, courage begats courage. And, and I think that's where it starts. That's what we need to see more of. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Whalen doing a phenomenal job. Tell everybody where they can view you on Facebook and YouTube and everywhere, right? Yeah, sure. I'm on Facebook, Casey Whalen. I'm on all the uh, major platforms, YouTube, Rumble, Ditchute, North Idaho Exposed, and the content will vary uh, since you can't put certain things on YouTube. So thank you so much for your time today, Sam. Hopefully we can get on Rumble because you can say a whole lot more there, ladies and gentlemen. we got to support or- yep. organizations that do what's right and let you tell the tale as well. That's why Liberty Roundtable. Casey, we'll have you back soon. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Uh, we declare this nation shall endure, but you got to stand up. Courage is contagious. Thank the heavens. Happy Thanksgiving. God save the republic.